2: not because the bad thing didn't happen,
1: but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever
0: you get your podcasts. Today's episode of the Jesus Calling Podcast is brought to you by James Avery Jewelry. Christmas gifts for everyone on your list jamesavery.com.
1: I'm opening up to a new world. I used to dread going out on the road. I used to think about, oh, what am I going to sing? What if it's the wrong song? What what am I going to wear? What if it's the wrong thing to wear? What if, well, you know, now I don't worry about that. And now it's like, I'm an open book. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast.
0: Today's guests both grew up in the world of Western sports and are both spreading the message of Christ's love through music and speaking country gospel singer Susie McIntyre Eaton, and professional team roper and minister Trey Johnson. First up, Susie McIntyre Eaton grew up in rural Oklahoma, the youngest of four kids in a family who worked their ranch and competed in rodeos across the state. Susie learned to sing from a young age, harmonizing with her siblings. She recalls the stories of her early music days, touring with her sister Reba, and meeting her husband on the rodeo circuit. When she became pregnant with their first child, Susie's marriage took a turn she never
1: expected. She candidly shares how she struggled with years of abuse and shame. I'm Susie McIntyre Eaton. I live in Oklahoma. I've been singing for over 30 years professionally. The McIntyre family has lots of dynamics. Um, We were raised on this ranch. Uh, We were also raised up going to rodeos because my daddy was a rodeo cowboy. And then we learned how to sing going to these rodeos. And so all of those meshed in together to be able to catapult us into three different kind of careers, the the rodeo, the ranching, and then the singing. And it's amazing to me how it all comes together. My grandpap, whose name was John McIntyre, who lived just up the road two miles at Limestone Gap with his wife, Alice. Uh, They had daddy. That's the only child they ever had. And my grandpap was uh, champion in 1934 because he won Cheyenne Frontier Days in Cheyenne, Wyoming. My grandpap was... um, he didn't want much. He liked the notoriety of being a champion. He liked his friends. And by the time he got home from a rodeo, he had already spent it all. Uh, he gave it to people. He spent it on on uh, going out to eat or whatever. You know, he was very free with his money. So Daddy saw that, and he said, I don't want to be that way. I want to have something for my work. And so Daddy was very studious about his practicing, his, um, his ethic of work as to rodeo, and he had a purpose of his rodeo money. What he won on the rodeo circuit, he brought back home to southeastern Oklahoma, and he bought land and cattle. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted a ranch where he could have cattle. And so he had a purpose. And after he and Mama got married, they had us four kids in five years. My older sister Alice was five when they brought me home from the hospital. And so she was busy. I mean, she was extremely busy. And it was hard to take that many kids on the rodeo trail. But every once in a while we would get to go, and especially the trip was to go to Cheyenne Frontier Days in Cheyenne. And uh, we have very, very fond memories of being underneath the grandstand. It was also so so fun, but also meshing in with the music, those kind of trips were when we really, really learned to sing. So Daddy being that only child, He wasn't raised up around kids. He was raised around a lot of adults. And so his fuse was just a little bit short. You know, he was concentrating, getting down those roads, two-lane roads with the wide trailer on the back. and It was a lot of responsibility and he would get a little short-fused. And so to keep things harmonious, mama would teach us how to sing and sing three-part harmony. What a gift that was to be able to learn how to sing and and how to sing harmony. And we didn't really go to school to hear that, and it wasn't with instruments. It was just with our hearing the notes. And when Daddy wasn't rodeoing, he was out managing his cattle, fixing fence, doing things like that, and trying to build his ranch. Mama stayed home with all of us until I was just about to go into school. So I was too small to go to the first grade. So, Mama made sure that when Daddy couldn't keep me on the ranch, if he was too busy or if he had something going on that was too dangerous for me to be around, um, she would tell Gene Wilson, the school bus driver, ask him to come by, pick me up with one of the other kids and take me by Grandma and Grandpa's house. When that bus hit the cattle guard and straightened out to go to Grandma's house, my heart was just full of anticipation. I'd get off that school bus and my Aunt Georgie would get on because she was still in high school and my grandma always had hot cocoa on the stove and the greatest honor grandma let me have was one time she was sewing on her Singer sewing machine and it was the one that you push the pedal and you could stop it with your hand up here and she let me push the pedal for her. Now I didn't realize that she had, a, she had a break on it right here and she could keep me from hurting her at any time. But she honored me and trusted me that I would be able to push that pedal on the bottom. She taught me lots of things. She taught me respect for her. She taught me respect for the church. And uh, she just, everything about her emanated Christ. And I think to myself now, as I keep my, grand, my little granddaughters, that I want to be the same kind of influence on them that she was with me. In fact, she led Reba to the Lord on the, on the pond dam. They were fishing one time. And um, she didn't rely on church for Christ to be honored. She honored him all the time. So I'm very honored to be able to um, have been in her house at the age that I was. It, it was a huge uh, boost to me as a woman. But my my grandma and grandpa's house was a haven to me because I believe that being in a household with three older siblings and as close as we were, I, I tended to be kind of pushed aside because I was, I was younger and we had lots of cousins around all the time. We were either at their house, they were at our house, and I was the youngest trying to keep up. And uh, I didn't realize until the last probably year, that that influenced my life a lot. Ranch life caused all of us to have to be on a horse every once in a while, you know. Uh, But the older ones were on horses more than me. Well, they were older than me for one. And I don't think any of us really got a riding lesson. I think we just got on a horse and started going. Uh, But it seemed like to me that every time I got on a horse, I got hurt, and so I would would just kind of go away from that. I didn't want to be on that horse. So my journey was a little bit different. I was a little more studious than the other kids, I think. By the time I was in the fourth grade, I had made 100s on all of my spelling tests. And my teacher, Mrs. Roberts, in, entered me into the spelling bee at school. And so out of Kiowa, from fourth through eighth, I won the spelling bee. And so it was like, this is my forte. I'm not a rancher. I'm not a rodeo person. I'm going to be somebody different in this family. So that was the kind of the, the different path that I took from those guys. I really didn't want a rodeo. I didn't want to do much ranching but I'll sing a little bit. I started in the band about seventh grade when I got over to the high school building. And we all had one hour to be able to have music class. And we would be in the cafetorium where there was a stage and we had our musical instruments and everybody had to sing lead on at least one song. And so that stretched me a lot. I decided to go to Oklahoma State University and um, I took one singing class. And of course, they had the, the big numbers and all this kind of stuff. And it was almost not opera, but it was you know it was hard, and it wasn't country. And I was like, what are you trying to do to me here? And they were trying to expand me and get me in higher octaves and all this kind of stuff. And finally, the music teacher just said, uh, this is not working for you. You're too country. And I said, well, coming from southeastern Oklahoma, what do you expect? <laughs> so I, I pretty well laid singing down, and I thought that's not gonna be a part of my life. I graduated from Oklahoma State and put out some resumes, and I went to work for an oil lease company in Oklahoma City. And then Reba was on the, the trail doing her music, and she called me one day and she said, would you consider coming home and being my companion and my backup singer for me. And I said, you bet, I'll do that. I will absolutely do that. And so I moved home. And in the meantime, I uh, met my future husband at the National Finals Rodeo in, in Oklahoma City. Reba was singing the anthem, and then we were singing um, for the dance afterwards there at the Myriad in Oklahoma City. and. Um, we dated for a little while and ma- married in November of 1981. It was, it was cool traveling with Reba. It was, she's always fun. She's, she takes care of business, you know, and she was fun on stage to sing with, uh, but I was with her when she got her first bus and um, that was the most cool thing. You know, I, I, the, of all the bragging rights I have, being on the Johnny Carson show with her and being with her when she got her first bus, was, was the neatest things, you know, to be able to have those two milestones with her, you know, and going on those radio tours with her and it, I think I learned so much from her. Um, her work ethic and everything and that too I think God had a part in, you know. I could have bor- been born in any other family I could have been born, you know, in any other country, in any other part of the world, but he chose to put me here in this part of the country with this family, with a sister like her, who paved the way. And um, I mean, my career, I I don't discount God in any of that. In fact, I think he placed me where I'm supposed to be. I got pregnant with our first son, E.P., and so I went home and, worked for her in her office and everything was going really well and um, and then my brother called me and said hey would you like to partner with me let's uh, let's do a duet career and so um, I was already having trouble in my marriage um, in fact had we've got married in November by March we were uh, there was emotional verbal physical abuse in our marriage my husband was very jealous Uh, when I would when I would work for Reba he would ask me how well how long does it take for you to get from her house to this house what what what's going on or who did you talk to you know just an insecurity and a a jealousy that was mounting and um, by the time the rodeo at Fort Worth I remember one morning uh, he just flew off the handle and um, I had had EP by then and um, he was a little baby and, and uh, you know, slammed the door and kicked the door. Uh, I went in the bedroom and he kicked the door off the, the hinges and just a, a real uncontrollable type of, um, of anger and so a rage, just a rage off of nothing, you know. And uh, so as I've, I've learned about that, there were things in his past that he was still, processing and still angry about. His parents uh, had an abusive relationship and uh, so he was raised about around that all of his life and when the abuse first started I immediately took it on myself that I was doing something wrong and with my personality it comes out as how can I fix that? How can I fix the situation to make him happy? and not hurt me and not hurt these kids and so it it put me on alert constantly but the first time it happened was on uh, we took a trip to Mexico and I don't really know how he why what happened why he got angry but uh, I was wanting to go to bed I was wanting to go to sleep we'd had an argument I don't even remember what it was about but if I tried to lay down he would pull the sheets off the the bed and he would pull me and he pulled me around the the uh, apartment with the back of my hair and I just didn't understand it so the first time it happened was in that situation and I took it upon myself I'm going to fix this situation instead of confronting it and saying no more buddy this ain't gonna happen to me I went under it and um, I'm not saying that I caused it, but I enabled it for many years. There's many kinds of abuse. There's, uh, what ours started out with was um, the control. Uh, My ex-husband was not in any way abusive when we were dating. He was happy-go-lucky, he was uh, very spiritual, he read his Bible, he did all these things. He got up and spoke about his testimony in front of the cowboy church services he was a rodeo cowboy Um, there's emotional abuse I mean that tore at my heart I mean I was accused of cheating of being unfaithful there's um, the mental abuse the emotional abuse the physical abuse which everybody can see and then there's the spiritual abuse you've married me you can't get out of this me being in the limelight, um, it was hard for me to, to get out. Um, and we started sharing our story. Uh, we started sharing our story that this was happening, but we're working on it. We even wrote a book called A Tender Road Home and uh, did a big thing about it. Uh, I recorded an album called Tender Road Home to go with it. Uh, we did uh, speaking tours about the book. Uh, and yet, the abuse was still happening, so it was an ongoing story. That abusive marriage lasted for 26 years, and three children. And I got to the point that I was so stressed that I couldn't even open my mouth to sing. I was just locked, locked up. I, you know, I was just overloaded. And we had kids, and they were rodeoing. They were doing. Uh, School activities and all these kind of things, and and um, I was singing. I mean, it was just it was a boatload for me. And so uh, Paul came in that day and asked me a question, and I couldn't answer him. And um, he began to cuss me and tell me how inept I was and in fact you're ugly and you're you you just you're stupid and you can't do these things and da 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 and as I sat there and watched him and I just kinda just asked God please get him out of my life please I can't take this anymore he rode off on his horse that day and uh, I went on into the bedroom and I I laid on my bed and I cried and cried and cried. And I said, God, why don't you do something? I mean, we'd written a book, we'd been to all kinds of conferences, all kinds of counseling, and nothing was changing. My heart was still just being ripped out and demeaned. And, you know, and it's like, God, do something. And in the quietness of my heart, He said, Why don't you? And it was like God was calling me. To be a person of intestinal fortitude, to get some guts, Susie needs to take the reins and run her own life and take up for herself. And so I got up from there and I made the decision. The kids had heard it all. And my older son, E.P., came in and said, Mom, what are you going to do about this? And I said, well, I'm going to ask for—this was the second separation. I'm going to ask for a separation, and we'll go from there. And so as the year wore on, I realized that I wasn't, that I wasn't even seeing colors anymore. <laughs> My world was gray, and when he walked out, And I made that decision in 2007, something I thought I would never do. I filed for divorce. I started seeing color in my life. And I hadn't seen it for 20, probably 20 years. That's how oppressive that abuse can be. And I wouldn't want anybody to live like that. My stance now is to also talk to women who are being abused and men who are being abused. First to stand up for yourself, to call it what it is, it's abuse, and to not stand for it. Because it's, um, it, it's demeaning, it uh, tears your heart up, it uh, has a lasting effect on your family and on your children. And um, so I would ask the people who are being abused is to get help to get out of that situation, get to a safe spot, and do something.
0: As Susie forged into a new chapter of her life, she began to sing again, and as she was traveling, she also found love again, with her now husband, Mark Eaton. She talks about how, through the love of her husband, the strength of her faith, and the support of her family, she has become stronger and wiser, and how grateful she is for this new season of life.
1: I can't thank God enough for that chance meeting in Cannon Beach, Oregon to find the love of my life, who is such a huge part of my life right now. And for him to bring me full circle and then have me marry a man from the state of Washington who didn't know the difference between a Hereford and a heifer I mean, that's pretty awesome. It's just, it's just, it's just dang right funny. That's all it is. It's just funny and ironic how God works. He's got a great sense of humor. I think that I got more confidence um, after we got married through several different things. Uh, First of all, uh, Mark started singing with me. And I I literally felt myself relax when he would come on the stage. It's like, it's kind of like the pressure's off me. I'm not the focal point now. And then when Mark said, God smiles when you sing. It's like, really? You mean, he would continue to love my singing, even when anybody else quit? And so that really, really warmed my heart. It was an awesome thing to say to me, to encourage me to continue no matter what. Susie and Mark now partner together as they travel to churches, rodeos,
0: and other events to share their music and preach the gospel. They talk a little bit about the beginnings of Cowboy Churches and their love for the people in rodeo and the Western sports world.
1: We started Cowboy Church. Of course, you know, a lot of people say, what is Cowboy Church? Well, there are events, and that's where it got started. There were about seven cowboys back in the 70s, and my ex-husband, Paul, was part of that. There was a Jesus movement on the rodeo circuit, and um, these guys would have church services behind the chutes at the... At the uh, trailers wherever they could get together they would have fellowship well they started having church services and inviting fans to come and then there's the big influx of cowboy church on uh, like in texas the baptist association really put a lot of money uh, getting these cowboy churches started you know and they're they're baptist funded and based uh, lots of them, over 150 in texas and then there's Cowboy Church on RFD TV, and uh, we've been on there for quite a few years, you know, and get in front of a lot of people. I believe that every ministry needs to be ministering to the people that they can relate to. Because I was raised on this ranch, you get pulled back to what you love, and I love this. This place is so dear to me. You know, there's places on this on this land. That I can go back to and I can remember Daddy building fence across a pond, you know, to so that two pastures would have water. Um, us going to the rope and pin and all those things and the rodeo trips and all, all of that and you just can't take it out of your blood.
0: Susie finds inspiration in the pages of Jesus Calling. She shares a favorite passage and
1: why it speaks to her. It's April 26th uh, and it covers 2 Corinthians 4:16 through 18 and then Psalm. Eighty-nine, fifteen, and it says, "Welcome problems as perspective lifters." Uh, to me, that says uh, there—it's not going to be a downer, but it's going to be an uplifting thing. Uh, I've got a, an album called "Counted All Joy," um, and it—it it says, "Counted it All Joy." This trial you're in, and it's uh, an amazing song that just encourages people that. Whatever they're going through, you will be better for it. It's going to develop characters, characteristics in you that you never thought possible. If you encounter a problem with no immediate solution, your response to that situation will take you either up or down. You can lash out at the difficulty, which I would do. It's the, it's, its fault, and it's not good for me, and I'm mad at it. Resenting and feeling sorry for yourself. This will take you down into a pit of self-pity. Alternatively, the problem can be a ladder, enabling you to climb up and see your life from my perspective. God's perspective is a lot higher than ours, and He sees a lot of problems from His perspective. And, and even though our problems may not be anything like people in Africa or the people in Syria or people in third world countries that are having to walk 10 miles just for a gallon of water, our problems are still important to God. Um, Viewed from above, the obstacle that frustrated you is only a light and momentary trouble. Once your perspective has been heightened, you can look away from the problem altogether. Turn toward me and see the light of my presence shining upon you. So forever keeping our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who brings that light to us, that our problems seem to pale in in His presence, and we're never, ever, ever, ever alone. To learn more about Susie McIntyre
0: Eaton and her ministry, please visit susiemcintyre.com. Also, if you're in the Las Vegas area during the National Rodeo Finals, December 6th through 16th at the Sands Expo, come and visit with us at Jesus Calling, booth 109. Susie and her husband Mark will be stopping by, as will other stars of rodeo and country music. For more information, visit jesuscalling.com slash rodeo. Stay tuned to hear our next guest, rodeo star and minister Trey Johnson, after this message from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Laura Neitzling, the host of the Jesus Calling podcast. One of my favorite Christmas memories when I was growing up was the gift that I would get each year from my dad. I would smile, seeing that tiny box under the tree each year and couldn't wait to open it. Removing the Christmas paper and opening that little coral box, I would always find a treasure, a piece of jewelry that was special, picked out by my dad for me, from James Avery Artisan Jewelry. I cherish those pieces even today. Gifts from James Avery help tell your story one that you and your loved ones will remember for years to come. Bring a smile to the face of those you love this Christmas with a special piece of jewelry from James Avery. This Christmas, that's the kind of smile I'm looking forward to. James Avery Artisan Jewelry can be found in their stores, in many Dillard's locations, and online at jamesavery.com. Our next guest is the multi-talented minister, professional team roper, and leadership development expert Trey Johnson. Trey was PRCA's Rookie of the Year in 2000 and has had countless wins since then. And now he speaks all over the world, sharing Christ's love through sermons, roping clinics, and leadership conferences. Today, Trey tells us about growing up in West Texas, the traumatic event that changed his life forever, and the unlikely places God has led Trey to minister throughout his life.
2: My name is Trey Johnson and I'm in the ministry and I team rope professionally and then I also do a lot of leadership development. I'm an executive director for the John Maxwell organization and uh, and so I travel all over the world uh, doing all three and so between the doing roping clinics and schools and and other countries and stuff and then uh, speaking at churches and doing leadership development. Those are the three areas of strength that I have and uh, those are the areas that God uses me in, and so that's what I work to develop on a daily basis. Well, I grew up uh, in West Texas, and my mom and dad both you know, rodeoed and uh, things growing up, and so I spent a lot of time with my granddad. You know, I think we both cried whenever I had to go to school when I was in kindergarten, because I spent so much time with him. You know, he wouldn't stop for breakfast or, or lunch. He wouldn't stop for lunch whenever he was working and stuff, so I learned at a young age that I would uh, I'd stuff my leggings full of sausage and biscuits you know because <laughs> he wasn't going to catch me out there without eating lunch and, and so I just grew up I grew up riding cutting horses and and training horses and everything and just enjoyed the western lifestyle and and didn't really know much different you know whenever I was born I wasn't ever supposed to walk or or to wear boots or anything my um, my toes touched my heels on both feet. You know, I had a real severe club feet. And so from an early age, they'd go in and break all the bones in my feet and they'd have to reset them. And, and it was kind of iffy there for a long time, whether I'd be able to, to run or wear boots or anything. And But I didn't really think about that a lot. You know, I remember as a, a young kid, it was an, an issue if I was going to or not, you know, regardless of the surgeries, I was gonna get better and get through them and do everything that was in my heart to do. And. Uh, I can remember as a little little kid out there, you know, just dreaming of being a, a cowboy. And uh, like I said, I spent so much time out there with my family that it's just, uh, you know, learned so many great principles and all of them are God's principles, you know, of how to work hard and the importance of getting up early and being diligent and, and keeping your word and showing up on time and, and just the list goes on and on that you learn just when you have a responsibility uh, like we had growing up taking care of the horses and the cattle and you know taking care of the place and it, it wasn't uh you know whether we was going to sit inside and watch tv or whether we was going to work it's just what we knew we was going to get up and take care of the place every day and it's just who we were and what we did my dad worked in the oil field and so i knew that i was going to try to get away from working in the oil field as soon as i could you know bust and flow line in high school and uh stuff like that i spent a lot of time roping calves whenever i was growing up and i didn't start team roping until i was a senior in high school to my junior and senior year and uh, so when i decided to really focus on my team roping my dad was like oh why are you doing that you know you got <laughs> it's just you and your horse and the calf whenever you're roping calves and uh, but it was just a desire i had in my heart you know when i started when i gave my life to the lord and really started seeking him i really had a desire to to focus on my team roping and, and become good at it You know, my parents did a great job when I was growing up. You know, they took us to church, and we'd go to, you know, the services at the rodeos and different things like that. And but as far as me myself going after God with all my heart, uh, I didn't I didn't do that till I was almost twenty years old. Uh, You know, and so when I when I got out of high school and went into college, you know, of course, like most families, you know, there's a lot of uh, alcohol history, drug history, stuff like that, and. I was headed down that same road whenever I went to college. You know, waking up with beer and donuts as my, is <laughs> you know, what I was having, and I ended up quitting college. Uh, went to junior college. I ended up uh, quitting school, and I, I moved in with a girl down in El Paso, and. During that time, you know the environment I was in is just—I mean, you name it—it it was there. It's just a bad environment. And my parents did such a great job. They said, "Tray, we love you, and you're always welcome to come home." But we're not going to finance or support the lifestyle and the decisions that you're making. And at the time, I didn't understand. Um, and so I was like, "Okay, well, I'll be my own man. You know, I'll—I'll I'll work. I'll do whatever it takes." And I felt like I knew what I was doing. Of course, I didn't. Uh, and I went home one weekend and. Whenever I went home and I was getting ready to leave, my dad just come out the back door and tears were running down his face. And he said, "Tray, the Lord showed me that you're going to die if you don't get your life right with the Lord. And I was like, yeah, right, dad, whatever. You know, I thought he was just being a parent and trying to pull one over on me. And, and so I went back to living the lifestyle that I was living. And about two weeks later, uh, I was leaving the rodeo at Austin, Texas, headed to another rodeo. And the guy I was roping with was in the passenger seat. And the girl I was dating at the time was in the back seat. and. I was driving and I, I woke up in the middle of the night running 70 down a four lane highway, and I was in the median with the truck and horse trailer. When I woke up, I tried to ease it back onto the highway, and, and I saw that I wasn't going to make it because there's the big uh, water culvert um, in the middle of the four lane highway there. And so I pulled the truck back in the middle, and it had concrete slabs going up both sides of the big water culvert there, and I hit it perfectly with the truck, and we're running 70 miles an hour here. And, hit it perfect with the truck and we jumped, but then the trailer hit the culvert just right on and just ripped the living quarters away from the truck and of course just spun us around. And as I'm spinning, you know how it goes slow motion when you're having a wreck like that and the trailer's just going end over end over end. And, and when we got to a standstill and I realized that everybody was okay, I just took off running towards the horses and I couldn't get any of the doors open or anything. And it was like a ball of tin. And by this time, you know, people had called 911 and, Uh, and the jaws of life were on the way to cut the horses out and and so but I crawled in the top of the trailer it was on its side and I crawled in the top of the trailer down through one of the windows and I got down in there and I was petting the horses because they're just going nuts and I never will forget it Uh, you know when I'm squatting down there with the horses and I just remember my dad coming out the back door with tears running down his face and telling me Trey if you don't get your life right you're gonna die and I knew that night that God had spared my life uh, that he wasn't the one that had anything to do with the wreck or anything, but he was the one that spared my life. And so in that trailer, I made a decision. And I'd been to church enough, and I I knew how to call on the name of the Lord. And so I called on the name of the Lord and asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I I told him, I want to know you. I don't want to play church. I don't want to be religious. I know you spared my life, but I want to know you. And uh, that was a a life-changing decision for me. And even though I didn't know how uh, to come out of everything that I was in, You know, I started making steps and I found Matthew chapter six, verse thirty three, which says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. And so I just started putting him first. Every day I'd get up and I didn't know how to read my Bible, I didn't know didn't know what to do, but I was just gonna I knew that life was in his word and I just started putting him first and putting him first and he started delivering me one thing after another, you know, because I had had all kinds of addictions and stuff that I was uh, dealing in. And, you know, I found in one translation, Proverbs 420, which says, my son be addicted to my word. Well, that was my language. I knew what it was like to be addicted. So I, I literally started trying to overdose on God's word. And and what came out of that is freedom. And what came out of that is me discovering, you know, degrees at the time of who I was and what I was called to do. and. Um, and just a few months after, you know, during that process, I'd put God first, putting God first, putting God first. I went with some friends down, uh, South. We were at a rodeo and I was sitting on the fence and I was just, I was a beginner roper at the time, you know, as far as my ability. And, and I'm watching my heroes roping the rodeo, uh, T woman and Rich Skelton, you know, they didn't know who I was, but I knew who they was and they ride over to me and they say, uh, we've got a they introduced themselves and I introduced myself and everything, of course, I'm just like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And they said, you know, we, we've got to be in Oklahoma City in the morning by eight o'clock, would you drive us? I wasn't thinking about "Well, why are they asking me or any of that, it was just, oh, yeah, you bet. And so I get in the truck with them and, and I get to sharing my story with them of, of where I was at in my life and how I wanted to change my life. and. And, and during that time, Rich said, well, Trey, why don't you uh, move to Lano and live with me and work for me? And I was like, yeah, that would be great. And so I got out of that environment and just three months later, uh, the people that I lived with, they got caught with four and a half tons of drugs and a uh, life sentence in prison. Uh, and some of them have died in prison. Some of them, I mean, it was just uh, God spared my life again. And so during that time, I was working on my roping and um, I just kept putting God first, putting God first. I started getting things back on track, and I had a desire. I wanted to go back to college, so I went back to Texas Tech. And during that time, I'd get my studies done as soon as I could, and I would, just, I would spend hours in the library. But it wasn't studying, you know, my ag business degree that I was after. It was, I just wanted to know God. You know, I wanted, I had no idea I was called to ministry at the time. I just wanted to know God. I went to roping one weekend and some of the guys that I used to run with and, and live with and stuff, you know, they said, hey, Trey, would you do church for us in the morning? Because they'd seen what God had done in my life. And I was like, yeah, I'll do church. And it, But then I got to thinking, yeah, they're just making fun of me, you know, they because they were strung out when they asked me that. And so I was like, yeah, whatever. So I didn't show up for church the next morning. Well, at the roping the next day, every one of them came up to me and said, Trey, where were you? If they had showed up for church and I didn't. And it crushed me on the inside. And I just, I remember driving out of the arena at Pecos, Texas, and it's a huge arena. And, and I remember telling the Lord, I said, Lord, if you ever give me a chance to share with people how good you are, I won't tell you no. And so sure enough, two weeks later, I'd gone back to college. We're at the college rodeo at Big Springs. And before I gave my life to the Lord, you know, I'd sneak around the stands and there'd be six to eight people in the stand at the rodeo services. And so I go up to them and I said, uh, hey guys, who's doing church service? They said, Trey, nobody is, would you do it? And I was like, no way, I'm not doing it. Then I remembered what I told the Lord, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And uh, and so I gave my testimony at that church service, and there was just tons of people that showed up. And we literally, uh, Corey Ross, a friend of mine, he started doing the music, and he's in the ministry now also. Um, and I would do the preaching, and there would be hundreds of kids that would show up uh, to the to the college rodeo services. And we had a revival for the next couple of years. And um, and it got to the point from that point forward, uh, just one door after another just began to open as far as ministry uh, began. And so I'd go to school during the day and I'd drive somewhere and preach and drive all night back to school and and roping and doing the same thing. and and so then it just kind of escalated from there. I began to discover, you know who I was and what I was called to do. You know, during that time after I won the Rookie of the Year, um, I just pastored churches, you know, I'd started several different churches, some cowboy churches, some non-denominational churches, and after about eight and a half years, every October so the Lord starts talking to me about the upcoming year and what He's wanting to do, and and, uh, and every year it was served serve my pastor for eight years, and that's what I served and helped start churches and oversaw the different three churches at the time, and was doing a lot of different stuff. Um, And then in 2010, the Lord started talking to me about going back and rodeoing again and roping again. And once again, my first answer was, Lord, no way. You know, at this level, these guys haven't taken eight and a half years off, you know, mentally and and even physically. You know, yeah, I work out and I stay in shape and everything, but it's different. I mean, it's different just the feel, the sharpness. I step back out to to rodeo and stuff again and to minister. and, And so... Um, we have a lot going. You know, I'll speak anywhere from 100, 150 times a year uh, around the world, whether it's at a leadership deal at, you know, conferences or churches or whatever the case is. Uh, it's been really interesting how God used the rope to open up doors uh, all over. You know, people come to the roping schools. I've had, had mafia guys end up coming thinking they're going to get better at the roping, and they do, but then they have an encounter with God, totally, you know, changes their life and, and puts them on a different path and different course. And, Uh, So in the the roping, the ministry, the leadership, and all those things, I just, I want to bring glory to God. You know, I'm not for sure the first time that I heard about Jesus calling, uh, but in all my travels, bookstores, stuff like that, I I remember when it first came on the scene, or I think I do anyway, first time I was aware of it, and I just thought, isn't that an interesting name? Um, Because, you know, the calling, the word calling in itself, means an invitation. And I I remember what it was like, and still like, that every time I get quiet, God is always inviting me to go to the next level. He's always inviting me to step out and to do something that's beyond me, you know, that's so much bigger than me. And so, uh, you know, people in my family have gotten this. We've gotten it for our oldest daughter seen it in airports, bookstores. And so every time I see the name Jesus calling, it just makes me pause for a moment and really think about what, what does that mean to me, uh, that Jesus is always, he's, the Lord's always in front of us. You know He's always inviting us to become who we're truly created to be. Yes, He loves us where we're at, but He loves us too much to leave us where we're at. He's always calling to have a more uh, intimate, deeper walk with the Lord.
0: One of Trey's key messages to others is how depending on God changed his life. He reads one of his favorite passages from Jesus Calling from the January 5th entry.
2: You can achieve the victorious life through living in deep dependence on me. People usually associate victory with success, not falling or stumbling, not making mistakes. But those who are successful in their own strength tend to go their own way, forgetting about me. It is through problems and failures, weaknesses, and neediness that you learn to rely on me. True dependence is not simply asking me to bless what you've decided to do. It's coming to me with an open mind and heart, inviting me to plant my desires within you. I may infuse within you a dream that seems so far beyond your reach. You know that in yourself you cannot achieve such a goal. Thus begins your journey of profound reliance on me. It is a faith walk, taking one step at a time, leaning on me as much as you need. This is not a path of continual success, but of multiple failures. However, each failure is followed by a growth spurt, nourished by increased reliance on me. Enjoy the blessedness of a victorious life through deepening your dependence on me. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is always committed to us. He's always committed to us. He's committed to his word. His love is committed to us. His mercy is committed to us. His grace is committed to us. He is committed to help us overcome anything that life throws our way. And so just this process of of being in a devotional like this and, and realizing one day at a time that if I put God first, I can lift my thinking. I can lift my believing. I can lift my expectation. I can lift my life, no matter how intense it is all around me, one day at a time, one thought at a time, one step at a time, one action at a time, that he's always calling us to new heights. Years ago, I was asking the Lord what success was. You know, as a young man and after God, and you have all these different definitions of success out there, and the Lord says, Trey, a person that's in the process of knowing me and being the best them they can be, that's true success. Because when I'm in the process of knowing God and I'm operating in my gifts and my strengths and my assignment, my calling, my purpose, He promises the resources are going to be there. Everything that we're running around trying to get, He promises it's going to be there. And so that's where I came. That's, that's my purpose, helping people know God and helping them be the best them they can be. Purpose never changes, uh, but the way that it looks, that changes throughout our 20s, 30s, 40s so on but the purpose never changes and so you know the more we're in relationship the more we discover about him the more we discover about ourselves and what he has for us and what's on the inside of us and and so still to this day I reflect back at that decision I made in the horse trailer and it's still my heart on a daily basis you know I get up before everybody else does and and I, I still want to put him first because regardless of Whether I'm uh, uh, speaking at a conference, uh, it doesn't matter. I want to know Him.
0: To learn more about Trey Johnson Ministries, visit TreyJohnsonMinistries.com. Next time on the Jesus Calling podcast, we visit with television host Kathy Lee Gifford. Kathy Lee shared a new project she's been working on, a children's book called The Gift That I Can Give, which encourages kids to recognize the unique gifts God has given each and every one of us. So I think we're asking our children the wrong question in our culture. We've been asking them for years, what do you wanna be when you grow up? I think a better question is what are you already becoming because God made you that way? What is your gift? What is the one thing that you can do that no one else can do but you? That's where you're also gonna find great joy in life because you will be in the center of God's will. Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling Podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling Podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.